pro wrestling is a form of theater. It's an yep. art form. Welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. Welcome back, everybody. We're excited to be here talking about another play with you this week. And it's, and it's, it's an exciting one to be talking about this week because I believe it's a new playwright to the podcast. It is a new playwright to the podcast, and it's certainly a very new subject matter. It, it's interesting, as I started the little introduction there, I was suddenly sort of attuned uh -huh. to the voice, the characterization by which I was announcing the podcast. We have an opportunity <laughs> to like make a big entrance that it's we don't true. usually don't take advantage of because we just want to hop right into the conversation and because we do the cold open thing where we cut from later in the show a little funny snippet or whatever so it doesn't ever really play out but as I was doing it I was like I could get really into this and like <laughs> you could do a whole bit where I pretend to be a, like a big time announcer in honor right. of this play <laughs> and then and yeah yeah because we are talking about the elaborate entrance of chad deity by christopher diaz today which is a play about the world of wrestling it's the world of uh like you know quote-unquote professional wrestling uh it's the world of showmanship it's the world of big personalities and as christopher diaz investigates in this play which it will be fodder for great conversation i'm sure it is the world of racial stereotype it is the world of false violence uh but also the world of kind of um collaborative art and the way in which christopher diaz explores professional wrestling as a collaborative art form all of that is in front of us in this strange play, this uh, very <laughs> highly lauded play, this very excellently titled play. Uh, a longtime <laughs> listeners of the show will know that I, I'm a title snob. I really get into how things are titled. This is memorable. This is uh, entrancing. This is evocative. This is descriptive. This is different. I love it. It's you know, it's not quite up there to the motherfucker with the hat, which is like I, that's the pinnacle <laughs> of titling to me. But this it gets right, up right. into that zone, man. The elaborate entrance of Chad Deity. It just makes you go like. What? What? And then you want more. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like that sort of like iconic level of title that that even if you haven't seen it, when someone says it, you're like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, I think I've seen that somewhere before, right? Um, I know of got, that, that play, sort of. Yeah. I mean, truthfully, <laughs> yeah, in yeah. some ways, the fact that the title is so evocative, I have to believe is at least part of why people know about this play. Now, it's been produced all over, as we'll discuss. It, it was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. I mean, it's it's a great play. It's a well-lauded play. It's been done all over. But I think a lot of people, like, heard of it sometime, somewhere, and the title has literally just, like, stuck around in the closet of their brain. And somebody <laughs> says it at some point, you're like, you know what? I've heard of that. I don't know anything about what it's right, about, right. but I know the title. I know the title. Yeah. 
<laughs> Which is also reflective of the subject matter as well. It's 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 a very well titled play for what we're going to be talking about. Excited to get into the conversation. However, before we do, want to take just a moment and thank all of our patrons over at Patreon.com/slash/NoScriptPodcast and talk a little bit about what we do over there. This is a, we we love getting to do this show. It's awesome to do it. Awesome to have these conversations about wide variety of plays of theater's best scripts. And the patrons at Patreon.com/slash no script podcast make that happen. If you're listening to the show, have been listening to the show for a while, or have been listening to the show from the beginning and are looking for a way to kind of get involved in the NoScript community a little bit more and be a part of making the show happen, Patreon is a great way to do that. We have a bunch of different tiers over there. Lowest one is just $1. $1 over uh, the course of a year. $12, or I'm sorry, $12 over the course of a year. And, uh, and at that $1 amount, you're helping out the show a ton. There's a bunch of other tiers there. You can explore all the different tiers of patronship, but you get access to patron-only posts, posts, access to scripts early, and all sorts of good stuff over there. So if you're looking for a way to get involved, to help out the show, and to be a part of continuing, uh, of our uh, ability to continue having these unscripted conversations, head on over to patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast. Thank you all ever so much to those of you who have done so already, and we will see you over there. And now... <laughs> yeah, there it is. <laughs> we did it. I, you know, I feel good about having done it. I, this that might go down as one of our best. Back to the script. Yeah. <laughs> all ten seasons of this. Just oh, saying. Uh huh. Cut. Just cut that out and put it on social media. People will right, right. want to dive into what the heck this crazy <laughs> well, what is happening doing. over there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, okay. So, so that little phrase, "Hey, okay," I do that when I'm teaching, like all the time. It's like my "Hey, okay." Well, let's get back to what we're talking about. <laughs> right, reset, I just, reset. I just used it. I employed my teacher persona. Hey, okay. So, uh, Christopher Diaz is new playwright to the podcast, as we mentioned. Our routine on No Script is to provide you with just some snippets of information about new playwrights when they come into conversation. Uh, we may come back to Christopher Diaz in the future, and in those later episodes, we won't do this. So this is your moment if you're curious about our friend Christopher Diaz. And I say our friend, I, we don't know him. I just mean that he's a playwright, and all playwrights are our friends in the sense that they produce great things for us to talk about. Christopher Diaz is uh, a playwright and a screenwriter. Um, you may know his writing on screen from the first season of Glow, if you watch that, amongst a bunch of other things. Interestingly, <laughs> Glow <Yeah>. is also <laughs> about wrestling, so he's found a niche, I guess. Um, he got a BA from the uh, New York's uh, New York University, the School of Individual Study there, and then got, it seems like, two MFAs from NYU's Department of Dramatic Writing and an MFA from Brooklyn College's Performing Arts Management Program. It seems to be that he is currently a professor at New York University teaching playwriting. Obviously, some of those information, you know, as we say, we're kind of just grabbing the snippets that we can. Oftentimes, working playwrights will take take certain chunks of a break from their regular teaching because they're going to go work on a show or they received a fellowship or something or other. So I, I couldn't promise you whether he's teaching this semester or not, but that does seem to be one of the things that he's heavily involved in. 
as a playwright, he he has won a ton of awards and produced some really interesting work. He was the first recipient of the New Playwright Residency Program Award, which was created uh, by and for Temple University. It seems to be a, a method by which they commission new work for their students to work on. And Christopher Diaz was the first recipient of that and so thus wrote a play for the students at Temple University. He's an alum of New Dramatists. Uh, he won the Guggenheim Fellowship in 2015. A lot of the playwrights that we have talked about have won Guggenheim Fellowships for just the sheer impressiveness of their artistry. Um, some of the other stuff that he has worked on, this is by no means uh, a list of every play Christopher Diaz has ever done, but if you are interested just at kind of a few of the things that he has worked on, um, you may be interested to hear about the the hip-hop-influenced comedy drama Welcome to Arios. Uh, he wrote the book for the musical The Unfortunates. He wrote the book for the public theater's adaption of the Disney Hercules. That actually came out somewhat recently, was my understanding, performed in Central Park. Uh, kind of an interesting project. Okay. Uh, Christopher Diaz also wrote a kind of a big-time comedy that uh, a lot of people were really interested in. It was directed by K.J. Sanchez, who's from University of Texas. She's a documentary theater playwright, really interesting character in her own right. But uh, she directed his world premiere of his play, The Upstairs Concierge. Uh, again, sort of a big satire comedy. It was premiered in 2015 at the Goodman. Uh, that The play that he ended up writing for Temple University was a play called Reggie Hoops. Um, that premiered in 2017. Uh, and then again, he, he he's done a lot of collaboration on musicals and then has done that sort of screenwriting element to his career as well. Most recently, sort of a, a, an interesting new fact, and there's going to be some of this when we talk about the play too, Christopher Diaz has been named uh, a, the first inaugural resident uh, and, and I'm not actually, I shouldn't say first, I don't necessarily know, but he's the resident artist uh, at the Chelsea factory. And so as part of that residency, three of his plays are being produced in this season, the 22-23 season. Uh, and then again, there will be more of his work produced next year at the 23-24 season in Portland at the Profile Theater. So, uh, you know, this is, again, one of those playwrights that uh, might be one of the better playwrights you've never heard of, right? Like he he is working all the time. His stuff is being produced all the time. Um, he he has just some really fascinating projects. Of course, the real highlight of his library, I don't know if he would say this, but I certainly think this is the most known play, is our play for today, The Elaborate Entrance of Chad Deity. It has had a kind of fame and um, sweeping the nation-ness that some of his other work hasn't had in the same way. The Elaborate Entrance of Chad Deity premiered in 2009 in a co-production in Chicago between Victory Gardens and Teatro Vista. Uh, and then it went on to do 
you know, what we affectionately refer to as the regional theater circuit. I mean, it, it really made the rounds. It also had an off-Broadway life. Here are some of those theaters. Again, we never, this is never a comprehensive list. Really, the, the reason why we list the theaters doing these productions is that we think it's valuable for the names of these theaters to be part of the conversation because we don't know where you're listening from. Maybe there's a regional theater closer to you than you think. Uh, and so hearing these names out loud can be part of the conversation of what American drama is. So 2010 at the Mixed Blood Theater in Minneapolis, there was a production. There was that production in New York City at the second stage in 2010. 2011, very popular production at the Geffen Playhouse in Los Angeles. You can see a lot of those materials still online. Our old favorite, the Actors Theater of Louisville, did a production in 2012. Woolly Mammoth Theater in D.C. in 2012. The Dallas Theater Center in 2012. Uh, 2017, a solo rep in Sarasota did a production. And then I'm just going to jump to its more recent life. Of course, we're skipping that dreadful series of years in the middle there where nobody did anything. Right. Interestingly, Christopher Diaz was an absolute champion during the pandemic of getting online work produced. Credit to him. When that happened, he stepped in and put a lot of work in and a lot of his uh, credibility and, and public persona into making sure that people were still working. So hats off to him. In 2022, uh, I'm sure there were more, but there were three notable productions of this play. So just last year at the Chance Theater in Anaheim, California, at the Zach Theater in Austin, Texas, and uh, affectionately at Theater Squared in Arkansas, which was the regional professional theater where I lived for a number of years. This happened after I moved away, but Theater Squared produced it in 2022. And as we are recording this, I, I'm thinking through our recording schedule. The production may be closed by the time this production is over. The 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 yeah, production may be closed by the time this episode comes out or not. I have to check the date specifically. But there is a production happening at the Hippodrome in Gainesville, Florida, January Ooh. and February of 2023. So at least as we're recording this, the production is happening at the Hippodrome in Gainesville. If that's near you and you can because of the dates and how all this crazy stuff works out, check it out. It's there for you. This play won a lot of awards. I'm just going to highlight three. I could go for 20 minutes with all the different people that love this play and have awards to give it. I just want to highlight the 2008 National Latino Play Award. I want to highlight that it was, of course, a finalist for the 2010 Pulitzer Prize for Drama. We try to do Pulitzer Prize winning plays on the podcast because it's one of the markers of the celebration of playwriting in our culture. But we also try to do Pulitzer Prize finalists because... It's also a celebration of how amazing that play was. <laughs> like, it's like, I mean, it didn't win the Pulitzer, I guess, but it's a Pulitzer Prize finalist. These are still incredibly good plays. And listen to the list of plays from the 2010 Pulitzer Prize pool. Of course, what won was Next to Normal, which is that, you know, the rock musical that still remains a huge part of the fabric of our American theater culture. But these are the other three plays that were, this is the three plays that were the finalists. 
Bengal Tiger at the Baghdad Zoo by Rajiv Joseph, In the Next Room or the Vibrator Play by Sarah Rule, and The Elaborate Entrance of Chad Deity by uh, Christopher Diaz. I mean, those are (laughs) big-time hitters in the American (laughs) theater. So congratulations for being, uh, you know, part of that list. And I mean that very seriously and earnestly. Uh, It also won the 2011 Obie Award for Best New American Play. Nice, nice. Yeah, so a well-lauded play and an often-produced play. I think some of that will, uh, or some of the reasons for that will come out in our conversation. Um, I'm going to jump into the... uh, Contact, or I'm sorry, the the synopsis for the play, real quick, um, and uh, and we'll just kind of start off on the, on a similar footing uh, via that synopsis. So the first, the the play is made up of two acts and an epilogue. Um, the first act is a lot of get to know ya and a lot of get to know the world. At least the first half of it is. And uh, the people that we're getting to know, I'm just going to read you the character descriptions real quick. Um, Macedonio Guerra. Uh, who is subsequently called the Mace, and we will probably refer to him as the Mace um, for because that's his character name in the script. He's a Puerto Rican professional wrestler, good at what he does, undersized. Our hero is the character description of him. Um, there's Everett K. Olson, also known as EKO, who we'll, we'll also refer to as EKO for the rest of the, <laughs> for the rest, or Echo, I guess. Interestingly, you could, you could say. This, this doesn't matter, so I, I don't want to save it for like the real conversation, but in <laughs> my copy of the script, there's not like periods between that acronym. It's not like yeah. E period K period O. So you just like, at some point you just start to read it as Echo. Yeah. And that's, I, I mean, I'd love to ask Christopher Diaz because like the word echo, of course, has, you know, it means something and it has implications. But I don't know if that's just like one of those random features of just the yeah, way the yeah. character name appears or if there's something there. Yeah, well, and, and it's kind of interesting because Echo or EKO, um, Echo runs the, uh, is the Caucasian owner of the wrestling company or T-H-E wrestling company. <laughs> Um, so, so it's, it's right there in, in that, in the name of the wrestling company too. Um, he's confident, handsome, or I'm sorry, wrong, wrong character. He's brash, confident, and ostensibly our villain. Um, he's also holds down a lot of the racist language of this play. He is, he is, he's kind of the villain of, of, uh, of the play in that way. Um, Chad Deity is the uh, uh, the African American champion of the wrestling, confident, handsome, not a very good wrestler, <laughs> and then uh, Vigneshwar Padwar, also known as VP, is a young Indian American Brooklyner, charismatic, natural, and effortless. Now, uh, the start of the play starts off with Mace. Um, he is uh, kind of describing his world and the world of the wrestling company. Um, he is a very good wrestler, um, and he's not just a very good wrestler. He's an uber fan. He's been a fan of wrestling from when he was a kid, when he and his brothers would watch wrestling. They had these dolls that they were playing with, and so he's always wanted to be a wrestler. And he's very good at the wrestling side of wrestling. Um, he's very good at the athleticism. He's very good at the storytelling of the physical act of wrestling. Unfortunately, he is a little bit smaller um, than certainly Chad Deity is, for instance, and he's also not, he doesn't quite have a a really strong angle on the kind of charisma talking side of it yet, or he hasn't had the opportunity really to to really step into that role. He's kind of been shoehorned into being the foil for other wrestlers. So he's, uh, the the, uh, EKO has noticed that he's very good at wrestling and he often puts him in 
in the position of the loser because the loser has to sell the loss so much more <laughs> than the winner does. It's a very physical role in in the world of of, of wrestling, and and so so he's he's in that role a lot, and he's kind of describing uh, in in the kind of early parts of the play how this is slowly getting to him a little bit. Um, he's he's uh, kind of just noticing that he doesn't. He doesn't have certainly the crowd appeal that uh, Chad Deity does. He he often starts off his uh, role in the evening of wrestling in the ring already without an elaborate entrance or something like that. Versus Chad Deity, who shows up with so much fanfare, he's beloved by the fans. He comes in to fireworks and all this all this uh, fanfare. Um, and uh, that's slowly starting to uh, to. Uh, um, uh, annoy Mace just a little bit, and uh, and he's looking for more ways to express how much both he loves wrestling and is good at wrestling, but is also capable of telling a great story via wrestling. So on goes the the starting act. Uh, we we learn more about Chad Deity and his kind of uh, big role in the organization. We learn a lot about Echo too and how he's kind of domineering the and and uh, uh, kind of puts in a lot of stereotypes, harmful stereotypes into uh, the the wrestling world. And he knows he knows what sells, and it does sell, unfortunately. Um, and uh, and so he kind of continues to perpetuate these often racist, often often. Uh, uh, certainly stereotypical things um, that uh, that uh, that define the characters that he uh, advises to kind of go on and become the stars of the wrestling company. Now, uh, interestingly, the sort of stranger that comes to town is VP, and he comes to town by way of Mace's brothers. Uh, Mace's brothers go and play basketball. Uh, in, in, I believe, Brooklyn, and uh, meet VP, who's this kind of, like, fast-talking, really dynamic guy. Um, he's really funny. He speaks, like, a ton of languages, seems to be pretty pretty um, charismatic and energetic and really cool, and uh, they kind of let a comment slip to Mace that um, we would pay to see this guy. <laughs> like, we would pay to hear this guy talk. And Mace is like, ooh, okay, interesting. Um, and he goes and plays basketball with them, hangs out with VP for a little while, and is like, yeah, I can get you a job. You, 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 you are awesome at this. <laughs> and I wonder if there is an opportunity for us to work together and kind of create this narrative together um, and kind of play off of each other's strengths in that way. So he brings VP in to meet Echo, and Echo goes on another just kind of like, like VP uh, makes a couple pitches, and Mace makes a couple pitches, and they're kind of cool pitches about some... Uh, um, uh, a contention relationship or at least some sort of nemesis relationship with Chad Deity and over and over uh, Echo kind of shoots down these ideas and is like yeah but what about this like super racist idea that we could do <laughs> and kind of pigeonhole uh, VP into this role of like uh, fundamentalist uh, uh, or or some sort of he's, he's mostly like trying to find something that is like uh, again this is like you know 2000 I think he said 2009 so he, he kind of tries to pigeonhole a VP into some sort of Muslim extremist role and they kind of go back and forth on this quite a bit eventually they land on this idea that Mace and VP are going to be this duo um, uh, Mace is going to take on this role of kind of uh, uh, Che Guerrera and, uh, and this sort of uh, um, resistance to American culture and show up as this sort of manager to VP who's going to show up as the fundamentalist is uh, what he starts as. Um, 
they start with this idea and the rest of act one is them kind of workshopping different ways that they could make this idea work. They do a bunch of different moves, a bunch of different content. Eventually they land on this sort of like silent menace as the way that they show up into, into the, uh, into, into the wrestling ring. And, uh, and, uh, eventually, uh, kind of leads them to, uh, have this sort of, uh, um, uh, persona of, 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 uh, a VP shows up as, as the fundamentalist and shows up and is just kind of silent throughout. And then, um, uh, Mace shows up and does a little bit more of the talking, interestingly, which is kind of the reverse, I think, of what they originally thought, uh, their partnership was going to be. Um, we get to act two and we start having actual fights, um, or matches um, that they show up to. And the pretty important part of these matches is uh, they come out, uh, the, the the people that they face are like um, Billy Hartland and Old Glory um, are two of the fighters that they face. And uh, what ends up happening is VP gets his big elaborate entrance. It's very, uh, it's, it's, it's full of fanfare and stuff like that. He gets on stage and um, while he has been a showman in almost every other vein of life, he seems to freeze. He gets this sort of like stage fright and can't do anything on there. So Mace is for, forced to jump into the ring, kind of salvage the match and send him towards or or try to find a way for VP to still shine as this sort of hyped up character. A big important part of that is they find they pick a finishing move for VP and it's uh it's uh the Oh no, I'm I'm forgetting the name. It's not the, the it's super not the bomb. kick. Thank you. It's the super kick. <laughs> And Which so, they uh, refer to as the sleeper cell. It's yes, like, you know because it's it, they're all move, they're all standard moves, but then they get personified and built into the sort of re- the the reality of the character they've built. Yep, yep. So, so, so the first match uh, that they have, Mace like ends up kind of throwing um, Billy Hartland into into VP who does his, his, uh, yeah, his super kick, the sleeper cell move and, um, knocks him out completely kind of almost too real. Um, uh, it's kind of established pretty quickly that VP doesn't have the same sort of, uh, wrestling knowledge that Mace does and thus doesn't really care for anyone (laughs) around him all that much. Um, and that starts to kind of uh, grind, especially on Chad Deity, who kind of shows up and puts uh, VP in his place a little bit. He hits him with a chair at one point and is like, you got to like shape up. You A, I saw you freeze out there and you can't convince me that you didn't freeze out there. And B, you have to start, you know, actually appreciating the sport that you're a part of. And and so they, they kind of try to make some changes. They go to the second match, which is against Old Glory. Again, the same thing happens. VP freezes. Mace has to kind of step in and salvage it. Again, the uh, the the uh, super kick comes into play, and this time he kind of knocks the guy out cold. Um, and they were supposed to end this fight with a really direct challenge to Chad Deity. Again, they're building towards this, like, eventually Echo is like, well, we'll get this on pay-per-view. It'll be this big thing. You'll go up against Chad Deity, and uh, Chad Deity will win, of course, and we'll, we'll all have this big narrative around your guys' characters. Um but VP kind of undermines that. He is kind of getting more and more resistant to both the pigeonholing that he's been put in and also uh, possibly dealing with the reality that when he gets up there, he freezes in front of all these people and trying to find a way out of that. 
Um, so he completely undermines the press part of it. He says everything but Chad Deity's name, which actually winds up making Echo happy because because he said everything but it becomes pretty clear that he's talking about Chad Deity. And so Echo's like, great, you're on. You get the belt. We're going to do this whole thing. See you in a week or whatever. And VP's like, no, no, I'm not going to do it. And he quits. He not only quits, but uh, when Mace goes and tries to get him back, he knocks him out. Um, he kicks him, kicks him uh, with with the super kick, and uh, then uh, eventually knocks him out completely and leaves. So Mace is kind of left, um, holding literally holding this belt that was given to VP to try to be this sort of like champion uh, antagonist role. Echo and Chad Deity come back in, and Echo's like, "This is your problem. You brought this guy to me, and I've hyped this up, and now you have to deal with it." And this is what finally kind of snaps. Mace to uh, he, he ends up punching Echo and going on this this kind of righteous tirade about why he's being completely undervalued and he's being pigeonholed in really awful ways and he has so much more to offer there's so much more that he can do there's so much more about the sport that he loves and thinks that he can contribute to and he's not being able he's not given the opportunity to do that. Echo uh, kind of surprisingly gets up and says, "Do that live on air, and we'll we'll keep it." <laughs> um, and uh, that's that's the end of Act Two. Then you get the epilogue where VP is at home watching it with with a, 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 a at least a date, maybe a girlfriend, um, watching this event. And out comes Echo and uh, introduces the event. And then Mace comes out, takes off his mask, and kind of delivers something similar to what the the tirade that he spoke at Echo. It's not really clear. It's kind of dealt with very theatrically and interesting. VP is narrating a lot of that moment. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and then Mace has his big uh, uh, bout with Chad Deity. Chad Deity wins um, uh, pretty quick, like the, the end of the In the record play. time. Yeah, yeah it kind of hits you really fast. You're, you're out of there pretty quickly. And you're left with this scene of VP kind of watching uh, Mace fulfill a lot of what VP was sort of fighting for. This sort of like different different um, story that is that is able to be told because Mace got the moment to stand up and actually tell the story that he wanted to tell. All with the knowledge that he he lost the fight very quickly. So it's it's this it's this moment of like not everything's happy at the very end, but something has changed at the very end. Yeah, the end is I'm not quite sure what to make of it, honestly. Yeah. It, it, it Maybe let's save the end for the end of our conversation because <laughs> it it does. I think it tells you something about what the rest of the play is. But maybe we'll save that and get to it towards the end. There's so much to talk about with this play. I mean, there's so much going on all at the same time that this this paltry half hour we'll have here is not going to be enough to right. talk about even the vast, <laughs> even a little bit really of the of what is going on. This play has. It's really what is incredible about it is how much Christopher Diaz has packed into this play script. It's not that long of a play script, but in it is a huge wealth of dramatic imagination. I mean, it is just incredible. So for those things that we leave out, I apologize in advance. Uh, and just unfortunately, we just we have the time we have. So this is we won't get to everything. And there's a lot right. to get to. One of the things, Jackson, that I think is so cool about this play and, and i'm not saying anything particularly wise or insightful or anything but it is the way in which christopher diaz has highlighted or utilized or uh grabbed onto or or 
recontextualized, whatever verb you want to use, all of the theatricality, the natural theatricality of professional wrestling. Yeah, yeah, the way that it is kind of seamlessly, not not seamlessly, really intentionally s- sewn into this uh, play and, and the way that it, uh, yeah, it, it supplements the characters. You Right away, the moment of the, uh, I've seen a couple kind of opening moments or trailers of this production and, and Mace on stage with like one light on him is vastly contrasted by when Chad Deity comes in and is the elaborate entrance of Chad Deity, which is a very, you know, very familiar to anyone who watches WWF or any uh, any of the kind of big wrestling uh, uh, shows, these entrances define the characters as they come in. And so the way that it's used really well to show the place where Mace is at at the start of the play versus um, the the kind of uh, star of the show is really impactful. Yeah, well, you're talking about the way in which the the entrances are used as part of the storytelling, which is totally true. But I also think, like, as a, just a step backwards from that, just how theatrical pro wrestling entrances are. <laughs> sure. Right? I mean, yeah. we don't. I, I think that part of what Christopher Diaz does is say to us, pro wrestling is a form of theater. It's an yeah. art form. And, and I, I don't think a lot of people who, who don't watch pro wrestling have really captured that in our brains. I, I'm friends with and colleagues with someone here where I am who's big time into pro wrestling. And he makes this case a lot that pro wrestling is an art form. It's a form of theater. And, and it, it, it he, he makes that argument a lot. And I, and I don't disagree with him at all. And But I was coming to this play primed a little bit for that, I think, by him. But I think that... It, if you didn't already come in going like, you know, it's, it's a form of stage combat. It's a form of character building. There's lights, there's music, there's narrative, there's characters that are invented from the ground up and built. Now there's also problems with this kind of storytelling that Christopher Diaz talks about some of the racial stereotyping, like all of the things that this play is also a critique of, but just at its core value, just something as simple as Christopher Diaz saying, if you take the pro, the big time flashy entrances of these pro wrestling characters, if you take them out of a, an arena where tens of thousands of people are gathered to see it in a wrestling context and you put it on stage that recontextualization all of a sudden says something to you about the very nature of the pro wrestling entrance. Yeah, yeah, it kind of wakes you up a little bit, and and yeah, the 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 sort of uh, physicality nature of pro wrestling um, is is just as much a part of that performance because I think that's the the common misconception is it's like you know big folks doing something physical to each other that seems kind of scripted um, would be the, the 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 popular misconception around it. But there's so much more that's going on, so much athleticism, so much story woven into it. And I think through Mace, you get a lot of that. I think Mace's character just straight up uh, uh, offers an apologetic for the fact that this this uh, this this uh, pro wrestling is an art form, and it's one that he has kind of committed his life to um, doing, kind of perfecting and doing with excellence. 
there, there's a great line that gets repeated throughout. I should look it up rather than trying to quote it off the top of my head here. should be able to get it pretty quickly. But it, it's in the middle of this. I like your phrase for it, apologetic, um, that uh, that the mace is offering through the course of this this whole, really all of Act 1. He is offering this sort of... Um, it, it he's describing sort of how the relationship between the people in the wrestling works, like the the how the camaraderie, how the teamwork works. Because at face value, of course, it's it's a competition, right? I mean, these these two guys are uh, or gals or whoever are beating up on each other in the ring, and someone's going to win. So you have that sort of the face value of it. And then there's the idea that we all know it's scripted. And then behind all that, the mace describes that there really is a camaraderie or a community among the competitors or the actors or whatever you would call them. Chad Deity in the middle of this uh, sort of apologetics, as you say, describes, this is the quote that comes up then again and again. In wrestling, you can't kick a guy's ass without the help of the guy whose ass you're kicking. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you see that c- certainly in, so you, you see it played out on stage in front of you multiple times and, and kind of noticed multiple times. Certainly Mace has that role frequently. Um, there's, there's, uh, uh, he, he kind of, there's a great scene where he kind of narrates through how the power bomb works with uh, Chad deity. Um, with video, also, by the way, <laughs> with, with video. Yep. Um, but then there's later on in the script too, like the moments when Mace has to riff um, while VP is kind of going catatonic on stage, he kind of talks through how he and uh, either Billy Hartland or Old Glory have to work together in this really collaborative way um, to to kind of produce a moment that they hadn't that they hadn't scripted. And you get the sense that these moves, like while the end might be established, like the narrative uh, uh, who wins the fight might be established, how they get there is very, very much uh, uh, a partnership and and sometimes uh, an ad lib and sometimes uh, 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 an art form that requires you to be very in tune with each other and to kind of pull something off together in a really communal way. Right. And, and and so, as we all know, of course, these these matches are scripted. The outcomes are predetermined. And I there's a there is a, a, a subset of the culture that looks down on pro wrestling for the scriptedness of it. And I think there is a sense that like it's trying it looks like it's trying to be an honest competition, but it's really scripted. But I think that part of this play and then people who who defend progressing would say it's never supposed to be a competition. So the fact that you look down on it for being scripted is silly. The mace says, uh, don't dismiss my art form on the basis of it being predetermined unless you're ready to dismiss ballet for the swan already knowing it's going to end up dead. So it just lays it all out there, right? It's like you'd yeah. go see a play where you know Romeo is going to stab that dude in the chest already. And we already know at the end of the play, Juliet's going to plunge the dagger into her chest. That's pre-written. Why is that prescriptedness 
uh, elevated art form that people pay thousands of dollars to da-da-da-da-da. And you think about pro wrestling as this kind of low art form that's dumb and stupid and blah, blah, blah. Why? Because it's prescripted? What? What's the deal? Yeah. No, it's really, it's, it's really fascinating. It draws out the sort of... Um, comparativeness of of kind of the way people engage with sport versus the way people ga- engage with with some something of a of a narrative nature. So so I think that's that's the, that's the sort of thing it's kind of drilling in on is what well, yeah yeah you you yeah like you said you go to a play you'd certainly go to a play you know that you know that someone's written the ending but you're still enraptured by the experience. And in addition to that, you get like something with some really incredible athleticism as well. <laughs> so yeah, no, uh, absolutely. Yeah, and no, there's it's a, there's it's... other things too that are are interesting about the theatricalization of pro wrestling that we probably don't have time for now. One of the things that's the most fascinating to me is the kind of asides that pro wrestlers give, kind of in place of interviews, the kind of interviews you do in a in a sports example. Um, uh, he, uh, Christopher Diaz calls them kind of wrestling promos. Those are highly, they're, uh, not highly, they are highlighted rather throughout the play. These asides that wrestlers have with the audience. I think that's fascinating and awesome to think about the, the ties between those and monologues or soliloquies, kind of a standard theatrical art form. And then I, I've long been fascinated. Part of what this play is so cool for me is I've long been fascinated about the theatricality of sports, not even like fake sports yeah. like pro wrestling, but like real true sports. So yeah, this yeah. play is a kind of bridge in all that. I think it, it just delights me. Yeah, and there's there's so much yeah definitely there's so much going on there's so much spinning around in this world of pro wrestling and this kind of claiming it as an art form claiming it as an ex, as an expressive um, evocative uh, experience um, and and there's so much going on in in both the mace and in VP as they seek to become that whole package. Because at least, as, like ostensibly, as they're introduced, they're both missing a piece of that whole package. Um, interestingly, Chad Deity is kind of missing a piece of that too. At least in the Mace's perspective, um, uh, he's he's kind of gotten gotten lucky in a sense and looks awesome in the role, but is missing like he's he's taking advantage of a lot of the Mace's ability to sell um, how how awesome he is. Um, the Mace has great athleticism, great storytelling, has a great love for the sports. But he's kind of missing this charismatic um, uh, piece that 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 he needs to find. He's also missing the just the just the sheer size that is often uh, necessary for the role. VP comes in, has the charisma, has the size, but turns out he doesn't have either the 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 the, the uh, necessarily the athleticism or the sort of communal care that is necessary to pull off. Um, what 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 he wants to kind of paint into the world. So each of these characters, I feel like, especially the Mason VP, are trying to uh, accumulate enough of uh, of the whole package to uh, to be able to do this sport well. And some of the struggle of the different tactics that they try to go about getting them is is some of the really interesting uh, meat of this play. Yeah, I, I I'm not sure that I agree about that perception of vp i he's i think he does have the athleticism and the natural giftedness part of the reason why 
the mace discovers VP is that uh, his brothers come out and say like, this kid's like an incredible basketball player. Like could go, I mean, super good, can do all these crazy moves, all this big time scoring. I mean, I think he's a natural athlete. I think what VP is missing is um, like he's just got stage fright. I mean, ultimately, I think that's it, right? Like he playing basketball in your neighborhood, there's not tens of thousands of people watching you do it. And so what he what he is perhaps missing is the kind of performativity of doing this in front of this many people. What's interesting though, of course, is that he's been in front of that many people doing the promos that he and uh, the Mace shoot together, or they they seem to be doing them like between matches or something leading up to the fundamentalist character's first wrestling match. So it's something about performing the athletic feats of wrestling in front of all these people that there seems to be a disconnect for him. And I I think you, I agree. You, you uh, state well that he is athletic in this other sphere. However, it's important, I think, to notice that that kind of athleticism is a very contentious one, a very competitive one. That's true. And the sort of athleticism that the mace has is a very collaborative one. He's very physical. He gets thrown around all the time. He gets up and does it again the next day. And and uh, 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 VP doesn't have that. He, he freezes. And he actually, like, I think the, the piece for me that, like, shows, uh, he's certainly a very athletic person, but the kind of athleticism that's necessary for pro wrestling is one that takes care <laughs> Of the the fellow people on stage with you, which I think is is pretty clearly shown that he doesn't have that in the second match he has, where uh, Mace says that he talks to uh, Old Glory afterwards, and Old Glory says, "Yeah, he actually knocked me clean out. Like I w- I went out for a minute there." Um, and so so the super kick that is a, a pretty dangerous trick. It involves him kind of like throwing a foot up into the face of his um, other <laughs> uh, uh, other stage sharers. And uh, that that sort of thing is 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 a little bit outside of his wheelhouse, and kind of consistently gets brought up by both both Mace and Echo as like you gotta you gotta get him better at this if we're gonna have any shot at this at all. Yeah, and, and that's interesting, right? Because in their first meeting, Mace and VP are talking as Mace sort of is trying to get a sense of who this person is, and VP describes what he wants, what he's hoping to get in life. There's a sort of a discussion about the audience, but he says, "No, you know what? It's not even that. I need more than an audience." And then here's the quote: "What I I need, what I need is, I need that Larry Bird versus Magic Johnson, that rivalry. Only I don't care about trying to beat him and winning some fucking championship." Ship ring, uh, skipping a few lines. I want to be working with someone. I want him to elevate me and have my back. It's a community. So right. it, it seems like what he's hoping for is a kind of rivalry, partnership, community combination. And it seems interesting that I, I don't know whether he finds that or he do, or and discovers he doesn't want it, or whether it, what he is looking for here, he doesn't end up finding in the contentious relationship with Chad Deity. I mean, it's interesting that the moment he walks away is the moment where Echo and Chad Deity are like, that was amazing. You're going to be the new champion, yada, yada, yada. And does, is that not what he was after? Like, is there no rivalry or pushing and challenging in that kind of like, in the way that they respond to that? Or does he realize that he really wants more genuine competition or, uh, you know, as a sort of 
result of the the racial stereotyping that they receive? Does he just realize that he doesn't want to be on TV as a Muslim fundamentalist, that that's not who he is, that this is a, a harmful stereotype to the, you know, the brown skinned community that's in the play that, that everybody, you know, in that community is just the same. And there are these extremist Muslim folks. Yeah. It's, it's interesting whether or not the, uh, so, so certainly his sort of like rival relationship with Chad deity, I think doesn't meet yeah, I think it, it, in the end, it, some, something's lacking enough to make him leave. Um, the, the It's interesting, the quote that you read of his, a lot of it describes what um, uh, Mace does for him. Um, a lot of the kind of building up that happens, a lot of the support, a lot of the cultivation uh, comes from the Mace. Um, and and uh, while while certainly the on stage presence and on screen presence, the the sort of rivalry that is built up is between Chad Deity. There's also this kind of behind the scenes, not necessarily rivalry, but it does end in a very contentious moment where VP takes out his all of his kind of anger about uh, what has happened on the mace um, and and kind of knocks him out. And, and the mace is kind of constantly having to kind of uh, navigate and try to steer VP in a direction. Um, so so it's interesting to have kind of both of those rivalries or 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 at least dyads or duos in in uh vp's short little career in 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 professional wrestling uh to to kind of see if see both of them not really fulfill what he was hoping for when he when he kind of set out into it mm-hmm. yeah it's a, it's a curious factor of the character there's a lot in this play that i think is a lot deeper. I mean, it's what's so great about it, right? Is that it runs so much deeper than a, than a pro than a play about pro wrestling. Or sure, whatever. sure. <laughs> there's the racial commentary. There's really interesting character work. There's the commentary about how America tells its stories. I want to talk about another storytelling feature of the play, which is the way that the play is structured or presented the form that it takes this is a highly narrative play really uh there are there are scenes throughout the play but they are bridged and bordered by i would say maybe even 60 percent of the play is narration narration of the action commentary on the action typically from the mace to the audience many other characters join in on that narration and then pull out of it at different points but at its core, this is like a storytelling play. The Mace is telling the audience's story throughout the course of the play. Yeah. Yeah, very narrative, very kind of long sort of monologue sections to the point that like, I, I wonder if this is a little bit of a beat towards hospital. Certainly some of it kind of is his own nat- natural storytelling showing up. This is how he chooses to tell his story. There's also a nat- some part of it that is like a move towards hospitality and a viability of this production in regional houses <laughs> because there's occasionally long fights described in in uh kind of word word by word play by play sort of things and often there's a little uh stage direction that says perhaps the action also happens or something like that <laughs> um uh or or for instance the entrances Sa- same note for the entrances <laughs> um because they're described very evocatively by mace um but uh but there's there's also this kind of nod to 
you know, if you don't have the budget for a flamethrower on stage, <laughs> you can you can you can get away with with a lot of this description, which is done very evocatively by by Mace. So there is this kind of yeah, like, and I will say, I do think there is an expectation that you put a lot of spectacle into the entrances. I, I certainly don't think you could do this play just relying on Mace's narration of the entrances to serve. I mean, actually, I think a lot of the play is about the entrances and the characterizations that are provided. Literally, the play is called The Elaborate Entrance of Jad Deity. Absolutely, yeah. But some of the entrances involve 20 people. <laughs> they right. list the that, descriptions that is of definitely them. definitely <laughs> true, yes. So, mm. so, but definitely, you got to do something with the entrances. There's, there's a bunch of great scenes where, like, uh, they call for them to the entrance to happen through the audience and money to fly around that all that sort of stuff. Very evocative, very important for the play. But it's also covered by the narrator who can kind of stand into some of that, like the full spectacle with a storyteller's mode or a bardic mode of like, here's what's happening. Here's what's going on. And then he also kind of has the authority then as the storyteller to paint that picture for us. And it, it I think in this context, what it does is... Um, it shows you where the story is being told and what the highlight of it is, right? I mean, it, what is chosen to be described through narration and then what is actually lived out in front of you tells you something about the play. The entrances, for example, are lived out in front of you. The big wrestling promos, right? The interaction between the characters and the audience are lived out in front of you. A lot of the fighting, other than some very specific individual moments, is described, just sort of run through in narration. And I think that tells you that this play is about the characterization, the interaction of the stereotypes with the audience, how the characters change more than it is about the actual wrestling fighting. Yeah, yeah, there's there's some kind of interesting... It, it it swings it so interestingly towards language as a tool and 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 story as a tool and spectacle as a, as a tool. Yeah, yeah. Rather than just the violence or just the fighting, um, uh, it it definitely like yeah so it gives gives a lot more weight to the to the art form that that uh, especially the mace is talking about and the narrative that he's talking about. And I also think that it's part of Christopher Diaz perhaps saying. I, when you think about pro wrestling, if you go, if you watch it on TV, if you think about it, what you think about is the wrestling. You think about these guys and gals fighting, these moves, these craziness, but actually you're missing something. Actually, the most important part of that is not the wrestling. It's the characters, it's the entrances, it's the promos, it's the interviews, it's when they talk to the audience, it's how the narratives of the characters are being crafted, that it's, that is perhaps more important, not just to this play, but to the art form of pro wrestling and to all of its both problems and successes. Yeah, yeah, it shifts, shifts the lens, shifts the, the focus onto um, the, the intense work that goes on behind the scenes that that you never get to see necessarily, but is still like the the underpinnings of of all all the spectacle that that you see on TV on a given night. Yeah, and and it uh, it reminded me as we were getting ready to record, I was frantically trying to think of what play it reminded me of. The play, The Great Leap, uh, 
by Lauren Yee. We've covered that on the podcast before too, which is basketball play and is also highly narrative and descriptive. And some of that in both plays is practicality. You described that already that like to some degree you just can't do. (laughs) Uh, You can't recreate a basketball game on stage in any kind of realistic way. You can't really recreate a pro wrestling match on stage in any kind of realistic way without the budget to do it. Uh, But it's also... It, in both plays, it tells you that there is something more going on behind the athletic feats of basketball, behind the athletic feats of wrestling. There's a different story happening simultaneously, both on stage and in the actual sport itself. I think that's just about all the time that we have for this play. There's so much more we didn't get going to on the in ending. this play. Let's get to the ending. Yeah, do we need to talk about the ending real quick? Anything about that? I mean, it's such an important part of the play. Well, it <laughs> it ends with the line, why are they cheering for the bad guy, right? Which is after Mace has uh, done his whole monologue, his sort of speak truth to power moment uh, before Echo and Chad Deity, and then they tell him he's going to do it on TV. As you described, VP is then watching that happen on TV, and it uh, Chad Deity defeats Mace in record time, and they're... Then you have this moment where VP narrating for the woman in the scene says, why are they cheering for the bad guy? What do you make of that as an end to this play? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's, I mean, it it certainly kind of speaks to there's, there's, it's interesting. A lot of the character names, there is the bad guy is a character name. (laughs) Like one of the, the, the person who comes on as, um, uh, Billy Hartland or Old Glory shows up as uh, in the script first, first of all, as the bad guy. Um, and it's it's interesting commentary on, 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 on what happens when someone actually gets their voice, um, and gets a chance to speak their story. Um, you can you can turn uh, around the public perception. Um, and the kind of easy, easy access or the, or not even the kind of packaged lie that's being given to you that Echo kind of bottles up and sends out into into the world. Um, uh, and when when Mace has a chance to kind of speak his truth, it reverses the perception of what's going on on stage uh, in a really interesting way. Who do you think they're cheering for? The crowd? I, I think we may be reading. Yeah, that because like, the woman that VP is narrating for is says why are they cheering for the bad guy uh my my read of it is they're cheering because chad deity won and they're they're cheering so for chad deity is the bad guy in this case. right because i also yeah. think there's another reading where like maybe the crowd is cheering for mace Oh, and, interesting. Uh, sure. And, but I, I'm not, I actually don't think that's accurate, but I think it's a possible reading because actually it's not totally clear. I mean, it says that Chad Deity is celebrating at the end, but I, I do think that your description of it is right, that the crowd. So it's interesting though, because you talk about that reversing the narrative there, the speak truth to power moment, but not for the crowd. Right. right? I mean, the crowd is still cheering for Chad Deity who who defeated Mace. But I think what we learn is that for a different group of people uh, whose story more closely aligns to Mace, this moment where Mace speaks his truth, it, it has reversed the narrative. And now Chad Deity is the bad guy. And I don't know, I don't know what that means necessarily. I, I don't know 
it's a powerful moment, but I'm not, I'm not sure what it stirs in me that makes it so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, I mean, certainly the, the, uh, uh, the, 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 the reversal of someone who was the hero, um, turning into the oppressor, um, is a really, a really powerful moment. And it's certainly a, a, a culturally relevant moment um, as as uh, as you kind of kind of go through the mythos of of uh, this this sort of uh, Amer- very American Chad deity comes out with money and fame and and uh, uh, kind of avenges the the old characters of Billy Heartland and Old Glory. Um, but um, th- this moment has sort of reversed the uh the, the the polishness of that and kind of displayed especially i think the brevity of the fight fight speaks to that as well someone stands up someone speaks some truth about a situation and then in comes chad deity and just like boom smothers it done we're not listening to that and the crowd goes wild i think that's a really a really important reversal, a really important uh, moment of seeing that which is held up as the hero being used as the oppressor. It has, you know, it has it has some of the 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 feeling of the Amazon series The Boys to it. Of this like this 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 figure that we've held held up as the hero is is actually the one that is doing a ton of damage. And I think just equally as important to that, I agree with all of that. Is that the crowd is cheering for him? Yeah. That there is a community for which this person is still the hero and this, the narratives that are being played out in these uh, pro wrestling, you know, kind of stereotypes that Diaz is critiquing. uh, There is a group of people for whom that is very true to their understanding of the world and that they're cheering for the same thing that a different community sees as the hero becoming the oppressor. We could keep talking about it. There's so much more going on. Yep. There's so much more happening in this play. It's it's a really evocative experience. It's one that really shakes up your season too. You know, if you're doing Taming of the Shrew at one point in your season, and then you do the elaborate entrance of Chad Deity, um, it's really, really an evocative experience, a really exciting experience. And it speaks a whole other vernacular into the theatrical space. Um, which is really exciting. It's a really great play. We'd love to keep talking about it. Alas, we are out of time for this podcast, but we can extend the conversation out into podcast land or social media ville. I'm just putting all sorts of weird little city names on top of things for for now on. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) We'd love to keep talking about this play with you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the username at NoScriptPodcast. We also have a Gmail, NoScriptPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on any of those sites. We'd love to both be talking about this play with you and to foster a space on the interwebs for this conversation to happen between all of you out there. Absolutely. If you've liked this conversation or any of our other conversations, please recommend us to your family, your friends, anybody you know that likes theater, scripts, stories, or conversations around great literature. Send them our way. They can find us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, and other common podcast locations. You can also like us on Facebook, and a link to the new episode will appear every Monday to click and play from there. So until next week, when we are talking about another one of theater's best scripts, I am Jackson Nikolai. 
I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for joining us for No Script the Podcast. Goodbye. Goodbye.